Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're talking with Jillian Johnthrude from Montana Money Adventures. I am so excited that we're going to talk with Jillian today about her financial journey from starting below the poverty line and drowning in debt to paying cash for her first house, investing in rental properties, and now being able to take off for months at a time to travel the country with her husband and five kids. What? <laughs> That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, and what's super impressive is that she is able to do all of this without a massive income. She's never earned six figures, or honestly, she's never even had a salary even close to that. Yeah, I think this is going to be an episode that speaks to a lot of people because most folks don't earn ridiculously high salaries. And so, yeah, what Jillian's been able to do with this huge family and at the same time with not a whole lot of income is really impressive. So this should be a really fun conversation. Yes, it should. Uh, you know what else is fun that we do every week is we have a craft beer. So Joel, you want to introduce our beer this week? Sure. Yeah. The kind folks over at Bell's Brewery sent over one of their brand new beers called Official. And it's their newest take on a hazy IPA. And so I'm looking forward to digging into this one, buddy. Yeah, man. Me too. You know what's great about these big breweries picking up the style is that honestly, it's, it's more affordable to have a beer like this in a style that we really like, that we can enjoy that without breaking the bank. Yeah. And honestly, a, a lot of the beers that we drink are kind of regionally available. And this is a, a beer that's going to be available in Almost every state, I would yeah. imagine. So that's kind of cool. Exactly. So Joel, that's enough of our beer talk. Let's introduce our guest. Jillian, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right, Jillian, I'm going to start off really weird. And I'm going to read a, a quote from your blog that I thought was really, really fascinating. And let's kind of get off on that foot. So here we go. You said, if I cut my hair at home, they might not notice. If I drive an older car, they might tease me a bit about my hoopty. If I cook simple meals at home, there isn't much to talk about. If our vacations involve a tent, no one will think much of it. If I paid cash for my modest home, they will ask when we are going to move into something bigger. 
We know what we want, what we value, and we'll do what it takes to get there. Even if we can't share it on Facebook, more freedom, more choices, more opportunities, more time for the things that matter. I was really struck by that. And it seems like such an old school kind of way of thinking. It's countercultural, really, to the way people view possessions and uh, the way they view spending, acquiring. And so, yeah, why is that such an important message for you? Why, why do you feel that way? And how, how did you come to, to kind of think about your life in those terms? I think it is a little countercultural, especially with the rise of social media. It has upped the pressure and upped the game to live this life that other people will envy and that other people will praise you for. But it's really difficult to grow your net worth, to grow wealth, or just to grow some financial freedom if you're constantly spending money to impress other people. If you're hoping for like the little hearts and the little likes or all of your coworkers to swoon over the new highlights in your hair or the new purse or the new car that you pulled up in, you're never going to get unstuck from that financial situation. I think that came from the post where you were talking about how like you're up as everyone else is down, basically kind of reversing how you see everything. And in addition, obviously, to, to people's approval, I think it's, it's just awesome to have that mindset. How did you a- arrive at that, at that place? Like, How did you get to that place where you felt confident, I guess, to, to have that mindset and the way you approached your finances and, and the life that you're living to, to take those steps? The confidence piece was really tough. But I had, I had grown up under the poverty line. And I had decided from a really early age that I wanted more financial freedom. And I realized that money gives us choices. Having money in the bank allows us to have more opportunities and to make different choices with our life. And I really wanted that. The trouble was me and my husband got married. We had $55,000 of debt and neither of us got high earning degrees. So I realized money will give us choices but we weren't going to be earning a lot of money. And so then I was confronted with this, this reality of either I could look rich and I could buy all of the things, or I could save and invest and pay down debt and grow my financial freedom, but we weren't going to make enough money to be able to do both. I had to choose look rich or be rich, but we just we, we didn't have the income bandwidth to pull both off at the same time. So yeah, you said you started off marriage with with $55,000 in debt. And that's a whole lot. And I think probably some of our listeners at least can identify with uh, having a debt level somewhere near that, maybe above that, maybe less than that. But when we're talking about 80% 80 of Americans are in some sort of debt. So it's definitely the norm. How did you guys, when you got married, how did you start to tackle it? What was that like on your marriage to kind of join together in, in this really important way right, to get married to one another, yet have this major thing that you have to tackle right after you say, I do. Yeah. We got this piece of advice right after we got married. Uh, the idea was you should live on half. So if you had been living as individuals on your income and you get married, the thinking was, you know, if you decide to have kids, if you decide to have three kids or four kids, <laughs> or five kids later down the road, and you've been used to living on half, it'll be much easier to like afford childcare or if one parent wants to stay at home for a while. So we decided right out of the gate that we were going to do this, try to live on half consistently. And it required a lot of different choices. It required a lot of countercultural choices to not just use both of our incomes right out of the gate. So the first year we were married, we were in college. I had actually been, after I graduated high school, I had purchased a camper, like a fifth wheel camper for $5,000 and I had moved into it. And we thought about living in student housing and we tried it for a month or two, but then we realized it's really tough to live on half and be in student housing. So we moved back into a camper for our first year of marriage. And it was a very different choice. Like none of you know his college friends were also living on campers, but it helped us stay true to that that first goal. By the way, you mentioned five kids uh, in a joking fashion, but you actually have five kids. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah. We're going to get into some more on that too. Like we've got some definite questions about that kind of coming up. So living in a camper like that, like obviously that's a, an intentional decision. That's a hard decision. And so what was it like for you and your husband living life differently than all of your friends at that point in time, choosing to make a decision? And, and it's not even a, a decision that's kind of well hidden. It's one of those decisions that everyone can see. And everyone's like, oh, that's, that's Jillian. And she lives in the fifth wheel. What was that like for you? And, and how did you kind of get past the stigmas that might pop up when you tell people that? It was really challenging to some degree because this was, me and my husband will have been married 17 years this summer. So van life, camper life, digital nomad, like tiny homes, these were not a thing yet. It was not popular. Nobody like successful lived in campers. It was just kind of us. But having to to kind of deal with that reality of, yeah, we could live in slightly nicer accommodations or we could do these things that we're really, really passionate about. And that was a choice that we had to make over and over during our 20s. Are we going to trade our best life away, all of our goals, all of our dreams for a slightly upgraded lifestyle? And consistently we said, no, like we'll, we'll keep our lifestyle low. We'll keep things kind of minimal and basic so we can kind of push all the chips to the middle of the table and go all in on the things that we were really passionate about. So how did you and your husband basically get on the same page? You're talking about this clearly as you two were a team, right? Like you're both working towards this. How did you identify that those were goals that you both had? And I mean, was that difficult? You know, did you get there first and then you kind of shared the knowledge with him? Or, you know, did you, were you both sort of on the same page or was it even vice versa? So this is a common, I think, challenge and struggle in a lot of relationships is that one person loves the spreadsheets and they love the budgets and they love the worksheets and the numbers. And the other person is just really laid back and flexible and is like, hey, I like life. And let's just like, we're fine. We're fine. And oftentimes when I work with couples or talk with couples, you know, it's finding the way that they can both communicate and start to discuss these goals and these dreams because the person who doesn't love the numbers and the budget is never going to love the numbers and the budget. You have to kind of get together on what do you want out of life? What are your dreams? What do we want our lifestyle to look like? What's important to us? And once you get on the same page with that, then you can say, okay, so here's the budget that's going to get us there. Or here's the investment strategy that's going to get us there. Or if we pay off our car, you know, those vacations that you really want to take, it's going to be way easier to do that if we don't have a $500 a month car payment. So that's what we started. We started with just life planning and dreaming and thinking through being in our young 20s and in love. Like, what do we want to do? What's what's going to be our big adventure in life? You know, Matt, we've talked about this on the show before about budgeting and how most people think, Jillian, that the budgeting is like this four-letter word essentially. But when you can frame it in term of, you know what, let's make our money align with what our actual values are. And it gives a married couple in particular this jumping off point to start to talk about what's meaningful to them as opposed to saying, how can we cut back and and become incredibly austere in our spending, it becomes this, what do we really want to pursue? And what what do we want to make out of life? What are the next five years? What do we want them to look like? And then you can prioritize putting your money in the proper places. Whereas right now, you're probably... Most people just aimlessly put their money towards the things that everyone around them is putting their money towards. Yeah. And that can be really dangerous because we we're naturally wired to be able to see the difference between good things or shoddy things. You know, if you look at a really shoddy shed that's about to fall over or a really nicely built shed, even if you know nothing about construction, you can say, hey, this one looks nicer than that one. You can look at like a small dull looking diamond or a big shiny one and be like, hey, this one looks nicer than that one. So if you're not really driven by your purpose and by your values, if you have to pick between the nice ceiling fan and the crappy looking ceiling fan, you'll just pick the nice one that's historically served us really well, except now we're in this time where there's unlimited choices, unlimited options, and you can buy things with credit. You don't even have to have the resources to buy the nice thing. So Jillian, spoiler alert here for the audience, you became financially independent at the age of 32, which is 
pretty insane, right? That's incredibly young. That means that you guys made a whole lot of intentional choices, intentional decision making. But also at the same time, you and your husband never made more of a combined income than $60,000 in a year. And so I think anybody hearing that's like, what, what, huh? And their head just exploded because that does seem impossible. And so most folks out there would say, well, first off, the concept of financial independence in your 30s, much less 40s, seems insane. And then second off, doing it on a salary that is combined at less than 60000 Why isn't that impossible? And how did you do it? Yeah, I honestly, if someone would have told me at 20, hey, you should like be financially independent and be able to retire at 32, I would have called BS. I'd have been like, that's not possible. Like, you don't understand math. Um, it just didn't seem possible. And while financial independence is fantastic, you know, it's the point where your passive income covers all of your expenses and you really get to decide what you want to do with your life. Now that you don't have to work for income, but it's not the be all and end all. Financial freedom is a spectrum. And so in our early 20s, we were just focused on growing that gap between our income and our expenses. Um, and having grown up under the poverty line, like if, if you don't earn crazy incomes, shoot, start for that first hundred bucks. Like if you can grow the gap $100 or if you can grow the gap $1,000 a month, it creates so much more financial freedom. It creates more options. It lowers your stress. Like incrementally, you're better off at every single stage in the game. So we kind of stuck with the like live on half rule. And essentially for us, that meant that into our 20s, after we both had jobs, after we had two kids, we were still living like college students. That's what that looked like. And none of our friends, none of our coworkers wanted to sign up for that. I was like, oh my gosh, guys, like we have a roommate and this is amazing. And having <laughs> that one decision of a roommate saved us $25,000 over three years. And I told everyone, oh my gosh, you guys should have a roommate. And they're like, uh, yeah, Jill, um, we're real adults. And like, <laughs> we um, we have kids and we like our privacy. And I'm like... I like $25,000. So that's an abnormal decision, yeah. right? That's not something that most people would do. And and you made that one choice and and that's huge huge money, right? I mean like that is the kind of thing that can easily grow that gap. But it is one of those things that for most people it feels like it's it's too far. It's like no, I'm not going to go to that length. And I think we run up on this all the time Matt, where it's like we hear back from people, heard back from people recently. You have three girls currently in one room. You're about to put a fourth. You're about to put four kids in one room. And I have two girls in one room. And I just put the, the crib in there for when we have our third baby. We're going to have three kids in one room. And a lot of people were like, you guys are insane. But to us, it's like, why why not? And, why are we actually insane? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I know that's a lot. But in, on, on paper, like it seems crazy. But in reality, yeah, like, yeah, it gets a little kind of chaotic sometimes. But why is that not a, a normal choice, right? Like, and that's, I think that's what we're asking here too, is with, you know, your choice to, to have a roommate. I mean, you guys were, you weren't just married, but you had a baby at that time, right? Yeah. Like, didn't you have a kid? We had one. And during those three years, we had our second child. So we were in our mid twenties. Wow. <laughs> we were both working professional jobs. We were living in the DC area and we had a housemate. It was amazing. That one choice, not only did it save us that $25,000, which we invested, but four years after that, that money was how we bought our first rental property. It gave us the down payment for our first rental property. And that first rental property, three years later, created the income for our down payment of our second rental property. Those two rental properties create 30% of our passive income now from that one choice that everyone else said, like, I would like my privacy. Those now passively create $1,200 a month in income. I like that $1,200 a month. Yeah, it can be like dominoes that fall. It's every little choice that you make initially, it cascades. And so for me, when I bought my first house, I had a roommate for a little while. And then I was saving up and bought my first rental property. And so very similar in the way that then that income from the rental property allows me to to save up to buy it for the down payment on the next home. And it's this kind of 
cascading effect, but, but you have to start somewhere and you have to make difficult decisions sometimes. And so I think it's important too for people to hear, well, what are the kind of decisions that people are making? And it is stuff like taking on a roommate. You also bought a house that was that, that you live in now, right? That, that was completely disheveled and you had to do a lot of work to it and you did a lot of, of that work yourself. So, so tell us about that. Yeah, that was always kind of a lifelong goal to be able to pay cash for a house. Because I had grown up in kind of a tumultuous family situation, like the idea of owning a house that was mine and that was stable and safe, like was so appealing to me. And we ended up renting for 10 years, 10 years of renting, 10 years of saving. And when we moved back to the States, because we had the chance to live abroad for four years, we moved back to the States and we had about $250,000, which this is like, 2012. And so in our area at that time, it's kind of like the very end of the housing crisis. We could have bought a very nice house for like 200,000. We could have bought a very nice house for 150. We could have bought a pretty decent house for 100. But we found a house that had been in foreclosure. They actually had an accepted offer on it. But the seller or the um, buyer backed out because black mold was crawling up the stairs. It had infected the entire basement and it was spreading through the whole house like a disease. And we were able to pay $50,000 cash for that. We had cash that we could have bought a much nicer house, but I was like, what do we want more? Do we want more financial freedom or do we want a nicer house? And to be honest, it was a rough year. It was a rough year. We had no renovation experience. We gutted the entire place down to the studs. We watched a lot of YouTube videos and I was working full time. So it was like I would be gone nine hours a day at work and then come home and for the next four hours laying flooring, painting, retexturing, like it wasn't easy. And all of my coworkers are like, you're insane. This is a stupid idea. Like, why are you doing this? And then five months later, we bought our first rental and started the whole process all over again. And nobody thought that was a good idea. Those are incredible, very clear steps that you took to achieve financial independence, right? Um, and so after the break, we're going to talk more about how you guys got to the place where you knew that this is what you wanted to strive after, more of sort of the why behind your money. And we'll get to that right after the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the Money App 
Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. We're back. And so we were just talking about black bold issue and completely redoing a house while you're working full time. So it's obvious that achieving financial independence doesn't come without major sacrifices. And we've talked about multiple that you've made already. You've also written about on your blog the idea of figuring out your ideal day and your ideal year, what those look like, and kind of the impact that that can have. It's an element of kind of designing your life and being intentional about your choices. So so tell me, like, what does that look like for a person to, to kind of design their ideal day, design their ideal year? And then how does pulling black mold out of houses maybe fit into that? <laughs> yeah. So the exercise of designing your ideal kind of day, week, and year is really simple. It's kind of just looking like at a schedule and saying, for okay, from the time I wake up, what would I love my day to look like? And not kind of like as a weekend or a vacation day, but just your everyday life in the context of a week. What elements would you want in the week? Is it going out with friends? Is it family time on the weekends, a little adventure? And during the year, what would be some big chunks of things you would like to see in the year? Because then with that clarity, you can really start making progress, like maybe tomorrow on getting closer to the ideal day, week, and year. Some things take a long time to accomplish, but if you're like, ideally, I would love to like meditate 15 minutes a day. Y'all just need to get on that. Like you don't need financial independence to do that. You don't have to wait till you pay off debt. You don't, you don't have to wait till the next big raise. Just get going. And that's one of the somewhat disillusioning things about becoming financially independent. Once people step away from their jobs, they realize, shoot, a lot of these things that I wanted to do, I could have taken ground on those five or 10 years ago. I didn't have to wait until everything was perfect with my money to like have dinner with my kids or to meditate or to start working out. Even if it's like watching a workout video on YouTube before you go to work in the morning. Knowing your ideal can help you say, what's the next little step that I could take to make that possible? So for us, I knew that while I loved working, I also didn't want to work 50 hours a week. That was not my ideal. I would have loved to work two or three or four hours a day. And I would have loved to be able to travel with my family for long periods of time, for three weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks. And to do that, I was going to need really low monthly expenses, aka paying cash for a house. And I was going to need some passive income to help fill the gap between working extremely reduced hours and our expenses. 
Yeah. So you, you mentioned kind of traveling with your family, Jillian. A big part of like creating that ideal life for you is kind of going on these bigger trips. We know in a couple months, you're planning on going on this big road trip. And that's awesome, right? Just like you said, taking these small baby steps to sort of start achieving the life that you actually want to live is something that you can do well before you've quit work or have achieved any sort of you know, semblance of financial independence. But even still, that being said, taking that step and, and leaving work I think for a lot of people is incredibly hard. And for you, did you find that to be difficult to step away from maybe the typical American life of going to work and working nine to five? And you're giving up control to a certain extent when you do that. What was that like? Was it was that difficult? It was a little tricky. Um, fortunately, we had taken four mini retirements before we got to financial independence. Nice. So we had kind of tested and scaled this idea in little, little manageable, low risk chunks. But even that, having kind of practiced financial independence a number of times, once we got there, it was weird and challenging to have both of us step away from our jobs because we were both in our 30s. We had five little kids at home and we never were high income earners. So everyone's like, what are you guys doing? When you have five little kids, you do not quit a job. You keep a job. You keep any job you can. Like, what? Do you, why? Why? And how? Like, how is this even possible? Because especially for our peers and our friends, like they're like, you all were making the same money we were. We have credit card debt and we're just finished paying off our student loans and we have a car loan. Like, And we, we phrased it as, we're just going to take a year off. We're just going to test it. We just need a break. Um, we were financially independent at that point, but I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure that we never wanted to work again. So it was kind of just a grand experiment. The fact that you have five kids just got brought up again. So let's get into that. <laughs> <laughs> you have also adopted. Uh, and adoption is such an intentional decision. It is one that takes a lot of thought, a lot of discussion. We have friends that have adopted and it is it is not easy, right? It, bringing someone into your family who is has been in who knows what kind of living situations up until then. And so why did you uh, and Adam decide to adopt uh, four children and what was because that's a, it's a big financial cost as well adoption is very expensive so yeah tell us why that was so important to you yeah so you know we talk about like there's a planner and there's a go with the flower on my very first date with my husband who I didn't know before our first date I brought a list of questions to our date <laughs> um, and one of those questions was how do you how do you feel about adoption and he was like oh I I love adoption yeah that, that sounds great and I said okay um how would you feel about adopting from foster care and he said oh I actually really like that idea too like my parents after we moved out they've become foster parents and I actually have a foster brother right now. And I was like, okay, check, check. You get date number two. <laughs> you move on to the next round. Congratulations. Is that what you did with every first date? Or, or is this just with your husband? Yeah, I was going to say, that's some intense questions right out of the gate. It was. But you know what? I tell him, like, buddy, you knew what you signed up for when you got me. Like, I was not pulling any punches. Um, I was going to be the list bringer. I did bring it to other dates. They obviously did not fare as well as he did. Obviously, this was something that was on your heart. And, and um, was this partially because of the situation that you, that you were in growing up? Was it wanting to rescue other kids from potentially something similar? Or like, yeah, what was the impetus behind that decision? I just, I realized that having loving, supportive, and caring parents was like the greatest gift that one person could give to another human being. When we talk about privilege, that's the most amazing privilege is having parents who believe in you and support you and are kind and generous and like will launch you into adulthood. And I just thought if I could, I didn't know what I could do with my life, but if I could give that gift to some kids who really, really needed that, then I felt like I was good. If that's the only thing I can do, that just felt like the most worthy thing to dedicate my time and my energy and my resources towards. And I know too that it can be expensive to go through the process of adoption. Can you walk us through, did you guys save up 
for that? And were there any resources that you found along the way in case there are listeners out there that are interested in potentially adopting at some point? Are there ways to, to potentially lower the cost of, of adopting a child? Yeah. So there are three basic paths to adoption. You can adopt privately in the U.S. You can adopt um, a child from overseas or you can adopt through the foster care system. And the kids I felt that I could help the most and that needed good families the most for us were kids in the foster care system. Um, right now in the U.S. at any given time, there's about 100,000 kids available for adoption and foster care. Like they're just waiting. <laughs> they're, they're just waiting for someone to show up and say, hey, I, I'll take a chance on, on you and I'll, I'll be a family for you. So private adoption takes a really long time. Um, there's a lot more adoptive parents than there are babies available. And you're looking at fifteen to $20,000 overseas adoption while there is a great need, um, also takes a long time. And it's twenty-five dollars to $30,000. But adopting through the foster care system most of your licensing fees, home study fees, the government really tries to help cover those kinds of costs because they're responsible for these kids. It's it's on them to try to find these 100,000 kids loving, wonderful families. And there's not a whole bunch of people stepping up to the plate. So they really try to like reduce some of those administrative fees. The largest cost for us was that one of us had to stay home with the kiddos. So it meant being able to cut our income in half, plus add the cost of of the kiddos. So thankfully, we had kept doing that like live on one income rule, because our our foster son came to us in February, five years ago. And then the social worker was like, Oh, and by the way, he has two little sisters. So three was not like my perfect ideal number, but these kiddos came as a three pack. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah, we can, we can figure that out. We'll make it work. And Jillian, that's amazing, right? Like you are pouring into others, others lives, like your children, like through the foster care system, coaching others, kind of one-on-one coaching when it comes to walking people through their, not just their finances, but sort of job transitions as well. So I guess my question for you then, Jillian, is why are you pursuing a life that is focused on helping others versus a life that is focused on your own consumption and your own comforts? Yeah. And, and how does financial independence play into that? Yeah, I think for most people, when you've come out of a situation, when you've been in a tough spot and you realize just how good life can be on the other side of that tough spot, oftentimes you have a great desire to like go back and be the Sherpa for other people and say like, hey, I've walked this path and I know it's hard and I know you feel discouraged, but there is hope and life can be different. Here's a couple steps you can take to make that difference. I wanted financial independence so I could have more freedom and more options. And the kind of crazy thing was when we first got married, I really knew we wanted to adopt. I knew we wanted to be able to pay cash for a house and we wanted to be able to travel. But then by the time we were 32 and we achieved financial independence, we had adopted four kids. We had traveled to 27 countries and we had paid cash for our house. So then I was like, okay, huh, now what are we going to do next? And financial independence just gave us the ability to double down on, on those bigger dreams on those next dreams, the stuff that I never would have had the courage to even dream about when I was 20. And so now our, our goals and our dreams like are even, are even bigger. And I want to share this with as many people as possible because we only get one shot at this life. I always think about, you know, when I'm, when I'm 90, what am I going to regret having never tried, having never, never given it a go? And for me, it is, it is sharing this freedom and this option with everyone because I just want everyone to have the chance to live their very best life. Like whatever they were put on this ground to do, to live that out to one degree or another. And I don't think that our money or a credit card debt or a car payment should stand in the way. Why, why give away your biggest dreams and your biggest purpose for a slightly nicer house. 
a slightly nicer car. It's not even like, well, if, if I live my dreams, I have to live in a shack. Or if I don't, I get to live in a mansion. Like, no, you probably just get a slightly nicer house by giving up everything that you really care about. You talked about when you were 20, how you, you had these ideas, you had these ideals, you had these goals, and you met them in 12 years, which is pretty incredible. Pretty much all of them. Now you've got more other goals, other things you want to achieve for yourself and for your family. But what would you say to someone who is who is in their 20s and who says... Because when it comes to personal finance, there's certainly a lot of naysaying. There's a lot of, well, I see this person written up in this article and that's not real life. Or I see this person and that doesn't seem possible for me. So especially with someone coming from a background where they haven't seen money used well, what would you say to someone who's starting out, someone who's in their 18-year-old, they're 20 years old, they're listening to this show and they're like, where do I go from here? Like Your story is inspiring, but how do I get started? I think it's really important to just do the next right thing and to kind of keep your eye on the prize. Like, What do you want out of your life? What are you going to regret if you never do? What do you want your legacy to be? Like, Start there because that's what's going to give the fuel to drive you through. But if you're 18 or 20, I would ask, can you do hard things? Do you have that in you? Do you have the capacity to struggle and to do difficult things and to stay the course? And if you don't, first thing tomorrow, learn how to do hard things. Start with push-ups. Start with push-ups. Go to the gym. Like, I don't care. Dig holes in your backyard. Like, I don't care how you figure out how to do hard things. Even stupid things. Like, wear something that doesn't match at all. And go out in public and feel just physically uncomfortable with everyone looking at you. Going. Matt's really good at that. Just dress like you guys all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to be me whenever I want. Just, just be you. Yeah. But learn how to do hard things because you're going to have to do difficult things. Everything in life that's worth doing will be difficult, whether that's raising kids or having an amazing marriage or finding a meaningful career or having an enormous impact on the people around you. None of that is cheap and none of it's easy. It's going to cost you something. So like train yourself to know how to do that. All right. So speaking of difficult things, becoming a minimalist while having kids is a difficult thing. Uh, And so we want to dig into some of how you've been able to manage to declutter uh, with five kids under the roof uh, when we get back from the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the Money App 
Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Okay, Jillian, we're back from the break. Let's talk now about some of the practical things. Joel mentioned minimalism, you know, if that's even possible with kids. You are living in the same house now and you've got five kids. Like, how do you do that? Joel's about to have three. I'm about to have our fourth. We're trying not to move to a larger house. That's not, that's, you know, that's not our plan. Uh, how is it that you're able to do that? How, how are you able to, to stay sane? Yeah. So I had one kiddo at home. And then within two years, we adopted three and I had another biological child. So in the span of 24 months, I went from one to five at home. And I dubbed that year (laughs) the year of easier, not harder. Life was so hard with five little kids and we really had to simplify. So really minimalism came to us as like a survival tool because I didn't have the bandwidth to just do all of these extra things and to constantly be picking up and cleaning. And it felt like a whole chorus of people were saying, when are you going to move to a bigger house? Like, when are you going to move to a bigger house? Like, And then I announced I was pregnant. And they're like, surely, surely now you will move to a bigger house. But for us, moving to a bigger house would have meant not hitting financial independence. Like we wouldn't have been able to both step away from our jobs if we would have added another $1,000 a month of a mortgage payment. So how we started with our kids, because I have very normal kids who really love their stuff, I let their rooms become chaos. Like I gave them like two weeks to just destroy those things. And then I said, okay, kids, listen, I'm really sorry. I think that I've messed this up. And I took all of the blame and all of the responsibility because I am the parent. (laughs) They are not like this situation we were in legitimately was of my making. I either bought or allowed all of that stuff to come into our house. And I said, so here's what we're going to do. I know this is really hard for you. I know it's way too much stuff. And I know you can't keep this clean. How about you just pick up whatever you can pick up and organize. And then I'm going to take care of the rest of it. And I'll, I'll pack it away. I'll get it cleaned out of your room. Just whatever you can like keep clean and organized. You do that. I'll take care of the rest. And it was about three things. For each of my kids, they could pick up about three things before they're like, we're done. And then we took two days and we went through all the rooms. We threw away all the garbage. We threw away all the broken toys. 
we donated about half of it. And then the rest of it, we put on a toy shelf, we set up a big shelf that we bought from Costco. And I said, okay, because you can take care of about three things, once those three things are picked up and tidied up, you can do a toy swap and just swap them for one of the things on the shelf. And we've done that for three years now. The great thing is when they don't pick the stuff on the shelf for six months or a year, it's really easy for me to sneak it out of the house in the middle of the night and yeah. just <laughs> because obviously they don't want to play with it. It's not it's not right. their favorite. It's totally transformed our home, how they play, how they focus, like how well they get along with each other, all shifted. Has that affected as well the things that you and your husband buy and the things that you keep and hang on to, you know, shepherding your children through this process of focusing on what's the most important to you? Like, How has that affected you guys and the things that you spend your money on? Yeah, we went through our entire house and I had a rule. We had to touch every single item in our home and we got rid of probably quite a bit over 50% of our total belongings. And my rule, because we were in kind of a smaller space was I didn't have room for any lazy items in our house. And by lazy, I meant if, if it was going to earn a spot in our house, it had to be hardworking. <laughs> we had to use it every day or every week or at least every month. But if it was something that was just going to sit on the back of a shelf for a year or two without us seeing it, like my house cannot be a storage unit for lazy, unused things. That thing had to go and find a new home where it could actually work hard. And we just applied that rule to everything. The other rule I applied was if I could replace it for $5 at a thrift store, I would let it go, even if it was kind of on the line or I wasn't sure if we really needed it or if it was really hardworking or lazy. So we had a cooler that we only used occasionally. And I said, you know what? If I realize I've made a horrible mistake, I could go to a yard sale and I could find another used cooler for $5. And that allowed me to let go of a lot of the, well, maybe, like maybe we need it kind of stuff. That's a great point because if it is something that can be easily gotten, especially used, it, it should make it a whole lot easier to part with. But you're not only willing to part with possessions. I, I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen reading your site was that you have something called a quit list. And so you're not willing just to quit possessions and toys. Tell us how a quit list works in kind of creating a minimalist structure in how you, you guys use your time as a family. You know, it's easy to say, well, these things aren't adding value to us, whether it's how you spend your time or your relationships, but there's things in your schedule and your spending and in your home that just aren't providing a lot of value. Um, and those can be, if you think about it, easier to get rid of. But then there's stuff that's good. It's not great. It's not amazing, but it's good enough. And that's where a lot of people get stuck is saying, but this does add some value. And I really encourage people to be willing to trade their good for something great. So my kids did Taekwondo and it was good and they liked it and it was fine. It wasn't our best though. And it wasn't great. So we let go of a lot of things that were just okay to make room for the things that really were amazing and the things that we really did value. Walk us through exactly how you figured that out. Like a lot of parents would be like, man, even, even though it's not the greatest thing in the world, Taekwondo, but I swear if I take my kid out of it, they're going to be kicking and screaming the whole way home. So how did you how did you actually go through the process of developing a quit list and deciding what to keep and what to get rid of when it came to activities and scheduling things? I think oftentimes parents are more resistant to quitting than kids are. You know, we want to give our kids the best and we want to give them every opportunity and we pack their little schedules so full that they're exhausted and I'm grumpy. And so with Taekwondo, when they would be dragging their feet and like, I don't know, do we have to go today? I would just ask the question, like, are you really having fun? Is this something you really want to do? Is there anything else that would be more enjoyable to do right now? And oftentimes the answer was yes. And it allowed us to let some things go to create space for some new things. And then there's things that they want to join. One of my kiddos came home and he was like, oh my gosh, mom, I so want to become a Boy Scout. I want to become a Boy Scout so badly. And I'm thinking like, this is 
okay, so why, what about Boy Scouts do you really want to do? And he's like, well, they go on really cool adventures. Like every year they do a camping trip. I was like, buddy, we did a (laughs) 10-week camping trip this year. We went to 10 different national parks. Like the Boy Scouts would be so envious of all of the adventures that you've done. And then he was like, oh, really? They don't do stuff like that? I'm like, no, they do not go to a 10-week trip to 10 different national parks. Like They go to like the scout instructor's backyard, yeah. and that's really lame. <laughs> so figuring out why things were important to them and seeing if we could meet those needs and those desires in a way that worked for our whole family, in a way that really matched our values and, and everyone else's needs. So, Jillian, on a practical level, like what are some ways that that we, Joel and I, can both, and just our listeners as well, like how can we implement a quit list into our life to to focus on what we care the most about? Yeah, I think it's really great to start with your budget, like, and not even your budget, your spending. What are you spending? What is your schedule? And what's taking your energy? There are some things, some activities we do that take way more energy than other activities. There's some things that fill us up and some things that drain us out. So looking at those three things and saying, what can you just get rid of? What can you get rid of altogether? It might be stuff in your home. It might be hobbies, relationships, items in your budget that you're like, yeah, this doesn't even like, this doesn't even line up. Like one of my values is being healthy and I'm eating fast food every day for lunch. Like that's an easy, just stop doing it. But then there's things that you can pause. So I think about, you know, if someone wants to start a side hustle, if they want to really grow their income, even just get a a raise in their current nine to five job saying, you know, I'm going to pause watching TV for the next three months. For the next three months, I'm just going to hit pause on that. I'm going to hit pause on a couple of these friendships or relationships that are really negative and discouraging. I love them, but I need to hit pause and I'm going to go all in for the next couple months to get this thing off the ground. Or I'm going to hit pause on eating out while I pay off my credit card debt. It's going to come back in my life. I do value it. It is important. But just in this tiny little season, I need to hit pause. And then there's things that we say, man, I value this so much and this is so important to me, but not right now. My husband is a car guy. This guy loves cars. He loves classic cars. But he said not now for the first, I don't know, 15 years of our marriage. He said, I'm going to have a classic car. That is really important to me, just not right now. I would love to build my own house. I would love to like build a custom house. And I have said not now for 17 years because some things, the order in which you do them is really important. You know, frugality or financial independence isn't about never having any of the things you want. Sometimes you just need to have the right timing. So for us, we tent camped for a decade. For a decade, it was us in a tent. We put in a a playpen and a little mattress and we brought our kids and we tent camped. Then a few years ago, we bought a pop-up camper used, a 20-year-old pop-up camper. And we did that for a couple of years. And just this last year, we bought a camper, like a real camper, and it's nice, and it was expensive. (laughs) But now, because our net worth is about a million dollars, it was just a tiny little fraction of our net worth versus in our early 20s, it would have been all of our net worth. So you just say, you know, not right now, like we are going to have that that does matter to us, but you push it off into the future when the timing's better. On a small scale for me, Matt, that was, and Jillian, that was uh, saying no to nerdy board game nights with my buddies <laughs> while we were trying to get this podcast off the ground. And I love nerdy board games. I love hanging out with my friends. But it was, you know, what? I really, really, really want to put a lot of effort into this. And I want to see how it goes. And it's been completely worth it. But I know that that's something that I'm going to bring back at some point. Like, life will chill out a little bit. And I'll get back to nerdy board games with my buds. Another thing on a longer term scale is... I'd like to drive a Tesla one of these days, you know, but that's going to be something that's probably a used Tesla five years down the road when similarly, it is like a blip. Right now, it would be a meaningful expense in my life. And hopefully, with the way I'm saving and investing and thinking about money in five to 10 years, it's like a blip. And Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that I think if you get a handle on your money and if you start to think about it well and prioritize saving and investing over over buying those things now. What you just said about 
the way you order things. It, it is crucial. It is crucial if you can prioritize that saving and investing now. You can have those things. It's not denying yourself, but it is saying not yet. And at the same time, I mean, so going back to your electric car example, you still have an electric car, right? It's, it's not like you you don't have an electric car. And so there's small ways, Joel, like that you are even talking about, and Jillian, like like you're talking about, like you you guys have upgraded from tent camping to pop up camper tenting to now like a legit RV. And you never said no to the things that you truly valued and the things that mattered, you know, 10 years ago when it was just the two of you guys at camping, right? Or when it was the two of you guys in the trailer. Like you can still take part in the, the joys and the things that you've identified as important, just not to the full fancy extent that you might someday, but you're still doing those things. And, you know, taking part in life now and identifying those things, I think, is, is so important. Because if you didn't know that that's what you truly valued, well, you would be off spending money, getting your spending out of order. Yeah. And then you wouldn't nearly be in the position that you are now when it comes to your personal finances. All right, Jillian, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. This has been just an amazing conversation. Uh, people can can read your stuff at MontanaMoneyAdventures.com. And you've got an easy kind of 10-day learning course that people can go through if they're interested in this kind of stuff. So would, would you fill our listeners in on that? Yeah, it's a 10-day email course. I have like short little 5 to 10-minute videos, a worksheet each day. It's free. Yay! But it's like the <laughs> perfect way to start figuring out what do I really want out of my life? What is really important? Like exercises like the quit list. How do I know what I can hit pause on to go all in on these other things? And it just it kind of walks you through that and starts starts getting the ball rolling on living your very best life. Cool. Well, we love free. That's yeah, for that's sure. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, aside from being free, that sounds great. Yeah, and I've taken a look through it. It's awesome. I haven't watched the videos yet. I'm, I'm really excited to to go through it though. Seriously, this has been a great conversation. We appreciate your insight. We appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. Matt, that was such a great conversation. I love Jillian's attitude. I love her philosophy. And it's just impressive what she's been able to achieve, especially on such a low income. And I think probably my favorite line, the thing that stuck out to me in this conversation with Jillian was when she said that she could either look rich or be rich. That is the dichotomy that so many of us are faced with. It's whether we want to appear a certain way to other folks or, or whether we can actually build wealth for ourselves and change our future. Yeah, man, that is good stuff. Uh, and now let's quickly take it back to the beer. On this episode, we had official which is the new hazy IPA by Bell's Brewery. What were your thoughts? Yeah, honestly, it wasn't as hazy as I thought it would be. It, it, it still looked kind of a little bit clear. More clouds, please. Yeah, yeah, but hazy is not a flavor. So it's okay. <laughs> it's just a descriptive word. But yeah, I thought it was really solid. And, and honestly, a, a beer that solid, readily available on most people's shelves is, is great. Uh, so I thought it was kind of a solid go-to. And uh, the interesting thing about Bell's Brewery, Matt, they opened up the year after I was born. So these guys have been making good beers for a really long time. And this is just another really good addition to their lineup, I think. Yeah, Bell's, they've been around for a while. They make some solid beers in particular. They make some solid IPAs and pale ales. I think about uh, Bell's 2 Hearted, which is kind of a, a classic. But yeah, man, this beer was solid. I really enjoyed it. This is the kind of beer I want to keep in my fridge to just be able to have when some friends come over without getting too beer nerdy on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's an easily accessible one for beer nerds and non-beer nerds alike. Exactly, exactly. Sweet, buddy. Time for us to get out of here. If you want show notes for this episode, go to our website, howtomoney.com. We will have links to Jillian's blog, also to that email course that we mentioned right there on the site. Yeah. And if you found this episode helpful, we would love to hear from you. Leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. And Joel, that's, that's going to be it, man. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.